The believer is identified with Christ and no longer identified with sin. And at the same time, the believer is in a battle to continually and aggressively mortify sin. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we turn to this passage of Scripture that, that calls us to be about the fight of putting to death the vestiges of sin, and sometimes it doesn't seem like they're vestiges, but a wholesale fight against the evil that can so easily creep into our hearts. And Father, show us the battle, show us our own need to fight this battle, show us the resources in the Holy Spirit that enables us to fight this battle. Indeed, O Holy Spirit, do your work of mortification in us. And so teach us today, Heavenly Father, guard my mouth and guard our hearts that we would know the truth and by your grace live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but there are actually two stories that are going about that, that tell the American story. They're on opposite ends of the pole, and let me just say right out, they're both wrong. One story is the good America that is to be celebrated. Uh, the bad parts of, of our history, slavery, for example, is given lip service, but the good and the greatness of America far outweighs any of the blemishes it's a story which everyone should be proud of. And then there's another story that, that tells of a bad America, an, Amer an, American, an America that is to be condemned. This version of the story erases the greatness of America, like liberty, the atrocities, the tyranny, the mistreatment of the oppressed, largely by white males, is, overshadows any good that might have existed. It's a story for which everyone should be ashamed. Both of these stories are inaccurate. These are narratives that either gloss over or erase to give a false narrative of America. Now the Bible is a good model for us to follow as we tell the story of America. Have you noticed in the Bible we find a very accurate account of the good done, but the bad, the sin, is never sugar-coated. Biblical figures such as Moses, David, Paul, and Peter are depicted as doing good and committing sin. The whole genuine story is given. And this is how we should think about the story of America. Celebrate what needs to be celebrated and yet grieve what needs to be grieved. Tell the whole truth, the whole story. Don't gloss over, don't erase, don't give a false narrative, but even more, it's true of our lives, the story of our lives. 
we are no longer identified with our past sins, and hallelujah for that. Our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we continue to struggle with the vestiges of the old self, that old sin nature, that sin-soaked past from which we have come. And we need to aggressively and continually mortify sin. We are to be on a war footing because we are in a battle day in and day out to fight against sin, to kill it, so that our behavior is that which is in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We are to live. Our behavior is to be consistent with our identity, who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says, Christian, kill sin in your life. We will consider Paul's teaching about the old self, the new self, and the continual mortification of sin in self. Those are the three points that are in your bulletin. So let's, let's start with the old self. That's part of our story, Paul tells us. He says in verse 7, in these, that means in these sins, you once walked when you were living in them. So Paul uses the term old self here in verse 9, for example, to refer to that old sin nature under Adam in which every human being is born and every human being remains under Adam unless the Lord Jesus Christ draws them to himself in saving faith, unless we're radically transformed and united to Christ. So by nature, man is a sinner and therefore is sinful and therefore is identified with sin. That's our past. So we have a past, and our past is riddled with, with the sins of the old self way of living. So let's look at how the Bible describes the old self. I just want to go through several scriptures here. One that I'm sure you've heard time and time again when we talk about sin. Oh, by the way, we are talking about sin today. And Jeremiah reminds us the heart is deceitful deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it Jeremiah 17 9 Paul Romans 5 12 therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned and then Romans 3 23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And then in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to sin. That's the old self. 
And then Paul highlights another fact about this old self. This old self with Adam as our federal head under Adam, all those still living in that old self are subject to God's wrath. So Colossians 3, 6, on account of these, on account of these sins, on account of living in sin in that old self, verse 6 of Colossians 3, the wrath of God is coming. The passage from Ephesians 2, chapters 1 through, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I didn't read the last little bit of verse 3, but I'll read it now. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The passage of scripture that J.C. read earlier from Zephaniah chapter 1. I mean, just recall what, what J.C. read of the wrath that is coming against all those living in that old self way under Adam. I'll just repeat two verses, verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. God is patient and long-suffering, but the day of his wrath is coming. It's coming upon all those who are living still under Adam in that old self, that old sin nature way, in bondage to sin. All human beings are sinners, and because all human beings are sinners, all human beings commit actual sins, sins of omission and commission. And sinners commit actual sins because everyone is born a sinner with a sin nature inherited from Adam, now living under Adam as their federal head. And those who are under Adam are objects of God's wrath. And what we've been talking about is the doctrine that we call total depravity, that man is totally depraved in extent. Every molecule of his being is tainted with sin. And if God moves his restraining hand, he becomes more sinful in degree. And have you seen men becoming more sinful in degree over your lifespan thus far? I have. If you look about, there are wicked people doing very wicked things. And it seems like there's more wickedness being perpetrated. Now, as we look at the panorama of history, what we can say is that our particular age is no more wicked than other ages. It's just that we're living in this age, and we see it. And we can see the spiraling down of sin as every generation experiences. But God's wrath will be poured out. So what types of sins 
characterize the old self under Adam. The old self, Paul says, in which we once lived. In other words, how sinful are sinners? Well, Paul gives two sets of five sins. These ten sins total in this passage are representative. This is not an exhaustive list. And so if you don't have a particular struggle with any of these sins, don't think that you're off the hook. (laughs) All right? But as we look at these ten sins, what we see is the sinfulness of sin. And the first set of five that you'll find in verse five are these. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So at the very end of things, uh, all sin ultimately is idolatry in some shape, fashion, or form. The term sexual immorality translates to Greek porneia, and in the context in which Paul uses it here, I think it's best to understand just the, the whole scope, the terrible scope of everything that might be considered sexually immoral activity, including sexual immoral thoughts. So we can think of, just to name a few, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pornography, prostitution, human trafficking, child exploitation, and child abuse, and the list goes on and on and on. Just, I don't even really need to say much about the sinfulness of the sin of sexual immorality because it's so blatantly before us in our culture today. Throughout human history, including our day, sexual sins have permeated our world, and we face the realities of sexual immorality today. But we also need to look at something more here, because I think this is what Paul is really getting at, not just merely looking at the sexual immoral act, but getting to, to use a pun, the heart of it. Look at verse 5. The outward act, sexual immorality, which can mean many things, flows from more of an inward disposition, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, the act flows from the evil desires, the impurity, the passion, the covetousness of the heart. And I think that's the bigger lesson that the Apostle Paul is showing here. That the old self is characterized by sinful actions out of sinful desires, both of which are sin and both of which characterize the old self. To be clear, evil desires as well as evil acts are both sin and subject to God's wrath. And I emphasize that only because in our day, there are some that are trying to say a sinful desire is not sin. And we would say no. The Bible very clearly, even here in Colossians, 
speaks of the act coming from an inward disposition of the heart, an evil desire, a sin-soaked heart. And the second set of five sins in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, next week will be contrasted against verse 12, which are five graces, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so we'll talk about those graces next week, but for today we will find these five vices, these five sins in verse 8, are of a relational sort. And again, Paul's point is these relational sins flow from a wicked, evil, sinful disposition of the heart. Some have said that if you really want to know the condition of someone's heart, just listen to what they say. The, our words are a window into the state, the condition of, of our heart. Proverbs 4.23, the wellspring of living are our words. The, the, the wellspring of our living and our words is the heart. So Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And I think Paul here in Colossians 3, as he details for us these two sets of five sins, is speaking more of the inward evil desires, and from that flow these outward acts, sinful acts. And so even if someone thought that they had not committed sexual immorality, either in thought, word, or deed, I would remind them that you are cut from the same bolt of cloth as those who do. And therefore, you have solidarity with sinners. That was your old self. Paul said very, very clearly, in these two you once walked. Not that you walked in every single one of these sins, but I would be surprised if anyone here would say, I've never had a sexually impure thought. But even if that was the case, nonetheless, we have solidarity to all sinners under Adam. And the point I'm making here is that our story is one of past sins and failure, and we would do well not to erase our past, that old self past from our story, because we continue to struggle with the remnants of that old self. And we must be cognizant and acknowledge the fact that we struggle with sin today if we are going to battle against it. The believer is no longer identified by sin, but we are in a battle to continually and aggressively mortify it. So thankfully, we have died to that old self, and we now live as a new self, Paul says, a new creation in Christ. Look at verses 10 and 11, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he says, Christ is all and in all. I mean, that's a beautiful statement, the fact that Christ is our identity. Christ is our all in all. 
So how did the scriptures talk about this new self? Again, just a, a number of, of, of passages here. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We have a new life in Christ. Romans 6, 6 through 7, 11, and 14, just some selected verses from this passage in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And you may say, well, if we're dead to sin, why do we keep struggling? But Paul is speaking of being dead to the dominion of sin, not free from any struggle with sin in this life. And then Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. New life. That's the new self, new life in Christ. And then from a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And here we're reminded of our union with Christ. It means that the old self has been crucified so that we're no longer enslaved to sin. And if we have participated in his death, we also have been raised to participate in his resurrection life. That's the new self. Dead to sin alive with Christ. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it very clearly and very succinctly when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As a new self in Christ, past sins no longer define us. We are no longer identified by sin. Christ is our identity. However, we are in a battle as a new self, continually and aggressively mortifying every vestige of that old self that seeks to creep in to our lives today. And this brings us really to Paul's main point in this section of chapter 3. His emphasis, though past sins do not define us, nor is our identity in them, we are at war against the influences of the old self. And Paul says, it is absolutely essential that we continually and aggressively view ourselves as, as being on a war footing 
to do battle against sin, to kill it, I mean, to mortify it. And here's the point. We are a new creation in Christ. It is a definitive work. The old is gone, the new has come. But we also continue to struggle with the old self. And progressively, we are being sanctified. Progressively, sin is being mortified. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. So let's look at verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 3. Paul commands, do not lie to one another because you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the implication here is that we continue to sin. He says, do not lie. Why does he say that if we no longer sin? He says it because we continue to struggle with being truthful as believers. And Paul is telling us here, put to death that influence in your heart to lie. That's the implication. Further, Paul tells us the new self is being renewed in the image of God, denoting an ongoing process. That's the implication here, that we are not perfectly today in the image in which we were originally made, but we are being renewed in that image. We are new, new creations in Christ, a definite work, but at the same time, we are being renewed progressively to be more and more what we are already considered to be in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation, and Paul is saying, be about the business of putting sin to death in your life so that your behavior becomes more and more consistent with who you already are. That's another way to look at it. It really is what we've already studied in the last sermon series on salvation about progressive sanctification. Thus Paul acknowledges that the new, the, the new self struggles with sin and calls us to kill it. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, therefore, what is part of that old self in you. And then in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Put them, all that sin. Not just the ten that he has mentioned, surely put those away. But all the sin that those ten represent, which we simply cannot enumerate today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Paul says a very similar thing to the saints in Ephesus. He says this, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And, and this is what they were taught, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Here we go again, this business of desires being sin of which there needs to be repentance. These evil desires that we need to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit for mortification. Our evil desires is not a, 
is not to be like eye problems, just some malady. No, it's sin that needs to be mortified. These evil desires is just not something God created me with, like, like my skin color. No, it's sin where we need to seek to kill it and seek the Holy Spirit to kill it, to sanctify us with regards to it. Again, I focus on that because there is much being written about and talked about that is very troubling with regards to a simple desire being sinned from which we need to repent and turn from. And Paul very clearly says it is sin. We need to repent of it. And we need to turn from it. And seek the Holy Spirit to mortify it in us. And we need to fight against it. Our new identity in Christ demands we continually battle sin. And kill it. Uh, I, wanna, uh, I, I don't want to overplay this, but we are told do not murder. <laughs> this is one occasion where, yeah, we are to kill it. Be about the business of battling and fighting, killing, mortifying that sin in us so that our behavior would, would be more and more in line with our status as a new self in Christ Jesus that we would more and more walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so for this reason, the Apostle Paul said, as we considered last week, seek the things above where Christ is seated, verse 3, and set, set your minds on things above. In other words, he said, be heavenly focused. Be heavenly minded. Because I'm calling you to put to death sin in your life. And you need to be seeking the right thing and your mind needs to be set on the right thing so that you can understand the sin and be focused on the resource, heaven, to kill it. And then he says, and we'll look at this next week, to put on the virtues of Christ. See, it's not just enough to kill sin. We have to put on Christ. It's both and. It's not either or. So how do we go about continually and aggressively mortifying sin? I want to give you, I think, six, six points, and then we'll close. First, seek the Spirit. The bottom line is this. Mortification is, first and foremost, a work of the Holy Spirit in us. Do we have a part to play? Yes. We're to be on a war footing. <laughs> we'll talk about our role in just a moment, but I want to emphasize the Spirit Seek the Spirit to put to death sin. and uh, Seek the Spirit to kill, and I like the way John Owen, the Puritan, put it. Seek, seek the Spirit to kill the strength, vigor, power of indwelling sin. I mean, when you kill somebody, that's what you do. You, you kill their power. You kill their strength. Now, please don't kill anyone, but yet the analogy is... That's what the Holy Spirit does to the sin in us. It, it kills its strength, its power, its vigor. Seek him to kill all that inclines, entices, impels to evil, rebels, opposes, 
Fights against God. Again, John Owen, very helpful in this area of mortification of sin, wrote a treatise on it after his series of sermons on Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. And then we seek the Spirit to put on these godly virtues that we'll consider next week. So we simply don't seek the Spirit to mortify sin, but seek the Spirit for strength and wisdom and grace, and although we need to put on the virtues of Christ, we need to replace that which has been killed with that which is life, the Lord Jesus Christ. So seek the Spirit. Secondly, we need to be realistic about our lives in light of God's Word. This means that our view of ourselves must be the good, the bad, and the ugly. We must admit the sinfulness of our sin. Derek and I were talking about this this morning. He said something that's kind of funny, but it's absolutely true. He said, yeah, we, need, we don't need to, to, to merely... We need to not be so concerned with other people putting their sin to death, kill sin on somebody else. We need to be focused on putting our sin to death. And that's exactly right. Thank you, dear. We need to come to the place of seeing the sinfulness of our sin. We need to come to the place of owning our sin. And we must understand that the least sin deserves judgment. The least sin is offensive to God. And when we sin, we offend God, and that is the big sin, offending God. David said, I mean, he sinned against all these people, Bathsheba, Uriah, and the whole nation of Israel. And yet he said, against you only have I sinned, Lord. That's the big sin. And we need to own that. So we need to see our sin, even as a new creature in Christ, as inconsistent as incompatible with life in the kingdom of Christ. And that should really bother us. That should bring us under great conviction. And speaking of conviction, we need to submit to the conviction of sin in God's word. This must lead us to repentance, restoration, a desire for a transformed life, as we seek and set our minds on the things above, we discover where we're not living in line with heaven here on earth. And so we repent and we receive forgiveness and the power to put on the virtues of Christ. And then fourth, we need to continually and actively mortify sin. We need to to view our lives as being on a wartime footing. We need to resolve to refuse to feed sin. You know what I mean by that? Most of us here probably have a pet sin or two, and we just feed it. And yet we need to have a resolve to refuse to feed it. We need to have the resolve to starve it, to reject it, to kill it. And this means we, we put off and we put on. Now, the, the context of verses 9 through 10 is literally having a, an attire of clothing on that might be tattered and worn out, and we literally take them off and throw them into the trash bin, and we put on a new suit of clothes. That's the context of, of Paul saying, 
put to death or put off the old self and put on the new self. It's literally changing clothes. And we need to be mindful of the fact that, especially if you're a guy like me, I have certain old articles of clothing that just really wear well. Shirt, a hat, and sometimes those articles of clothing mysteriously wind up in the trash bin. I don't know how. I know they don't have the power of mobility in and of themselves. And what do I do? I retrieve that old favorite worn garment and put it back on. Brothers and sisters, that describes what we often do with our sin. Oh yes, I'm going to take it off and throw it away and be done with it. And what do we do? An hour, a day, a week, a month, we go back, we get it, and we put it back on. Paul says, kill it, reject it, leave it in the trash bin. We need to put off and leave it off. We need to kill it and leave it killed. I'm not sure if that's good grammar. Fifth, have some accountability in our lives. We need to encourage one another to fight and to keep on fighting. And six, we need to see our identity as being in Christ. We're no longer identified or to be driven by our past. This is most freeing. Though we must never forget who we are, that old self, because that enables us to be on a war footing, realizing the potential for sin and thus being more aggressive and ready to mortify it. But our past doesn't define us. Our past is not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. We are not blank Christians, fill in the blank. We are Christ. And we need to live in light of that. To sanitize our story, to erase past sins, and to gloss over our current struggle with the old self will lull us into complacency where we will concede ground to sin and fail in continually and aggressively killing it. Paul's exhortation is for us to rest in our identity as a new self, to rest in our identity being in Christ and not sin, and at the same time be on a war footing by continually and aggressively battling and mortifying sin, that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him.
let us pray. God, our Father, I ask you to, first, Lord, show us where we are conceding ground to the old self, that old way of living to sin. And I pray, Father, that you would be pleased to bring us under conviction that we might experience the grace of repentance and restoration and forgiveness, that we might live as a new self with the resolve to battle and fight against sin aggressively and continually to kill it. So, Father, do a work in us. Give us a, sober, a soberness to the fact that we can never let down our guard with regards to the potential of sin, that our hearts can so easily become sin-soaked and evil desires well up and sinful actions take place. And Father, guard us against that. Cause us to battle against that. Holy Spirit, mortify us and strengthen us to be in the battle of mortification. Father, our desire is to be holy because you are holy, to honor you, and to promote your glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.